genre-defining game to me, Final Fantasy IX, which is mm. not many other people's favorite Final Fantasy game. It's the favorite Final Fantasy game, though, of a lot of kids who happen to, like... You can always tell, basically, who, like... It's like if Aladdin is your favorite Disney movie. It just says what age you were when the movie came out. And I think that's also true of me in Final Fantasy IX. Um, and to interrupt briefly, because we are now um, demarcating our lives in terms of Final Fantasy games, you've probably stumbled upon the Big Bang Theory theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And uh, I'm not pretending I don't do the exact same thing, so please do go on. I was just going to say, so over the years, as I've gotten more into uh, like tabletop role-playing and an understanding of like how Final Fantasy is basically just a computer simulating all of the roles of a tabletop game... Final Fantasy IX is the only one where I ever actually peeled back the hood and looked at, like, the source code of all of the, like, attack and defense and damage calculations and all of the stat growth calculations. And, whoo, boy, that is a whole – that is – you want to talk about a rabbit hole. People have spent years – I mean, it's not – it's a pretty well-solved system now because the the – uh, character leveling and growth in uh, Final Fantasy IX is pretty linear, and there's only really one system that modifies the way your character's uh, stats so your, can your grow. Crystal system? No, it's oh, not. Oh no, cr- that's not even stat growth. That's just abilities. Sorry. Yeah. No. Well, but the number of magic stones you have to equip your abilities is part of your stat growth. Yes. This is something I know now. So. Basically, long story short, you there are a vi- there are only a handful of items in the game that actually modify uh, your stats. And it's also even I will also say it's ridiculous because everyone agrees if you can j- if level your character all the way up to level one hundred with zero modified stats, your characters will be so much stronger than you need. Like you can do any normal run through of that game, like just grinding your characters up to about level 70 and you can easily beat it and even if you want to beat like the ultra hard super edgy bosses the optional bosses in the game like if you're level 100 you can do it but people still they want to boost their stats so there's a there's a handful of items in the game that boost your uh stat growth by like a fifth of a point every time you level up Mm. um so you have to equip them, you know, when you have enough levels to burn that it's still useful. And also they don't appear until, like, mid-game. So one of the weirdest things about the meta game of Final Fantasy IX is you basically want to level up as little as possible for, like, the first 20 to 30 hours of the game. And then you just want to grind like a crazy person for, like, uh, you know, once you uh, have certain set of optional equipment um which is wild but is is how yeah. the game works well i i promise this is technically a show about the big bang theory that we watch sometimes obviously it's not our primary focus and uh kyle um yeah i i i have to contribute as, as far as these leveling systems and everything goes like that that low level at the beginning game max later in the game is something that was also uh baked into Final Fantasy VI because your espers gave you stat boosts, and so it was like, okay, get as far in the game as you can, as low level as possible, so you can get the best espers with the best stat boosts, and then boo boo And with Final Fantasy VIII, you also add an advantage to go everything low level because 
enemy scaled with you, but if they got higher level, they get more abilities and were technically more dangerous. So that's that's the whole, that's been the con the whole time. They don't want you to know it, but they're they're they've been pulling those strings from behind the scenes all along. It's also, and this is the last thing, and then I'll let it go. But uh, if you've ever wondered, in so this is probably also true of many of the Final Fantasies, but in at least it's definitely true in Final Fantasy IX. You, of course, you're always you get new characters um, added to the game across as you play through it. Right, you pick up new members of your party. I don't know why I said that like an alien. <laughs> um, you pick up new characters in your party and the level of the characters when you add them is just the average of the level of all of the characters who are already in your party uh, which sounds fine except they don't get they also don't get any optional there are several um, boosts particularly the boost to magic stones that are just not factored in if they get the auto level bump so they will have Literally, like the sooner you pick up everyone in your party, the the more optimized you can make them in the late game. We've got to talk about this fucking television show sooner or later. <laughs> also, did you know that Zidane's mug ability, the damage, or all of Zidane's dine abilities, the damage is dependent on the number of times you've successfully stolen from a monster over the course of the game? Kyle, do you want to know that um, I traditionally, this is something I'm still trying to get over as an adult, um, have such a compulsion for completion that if I do not steal every single item from every single boss, I will not go on. If if I accidentally kill it, I will restart. If uh, if so, it used to be worse. It used to be if any of my party members was dead at the end of the fight, I'd be so mad they didn't get that boss experience that I'd start over again. Like in the first Final Fantasy game, the very first, um, I would. I would not allow any party member to die because I needed all of them to always have the exact same amount of experience or it was a failure. <laughs> so anyway, we're normal. We're well-adjusted people. We're happy. Doing good. Yeah. We're definitely morally superior to the people on this show. Yeah, uh, and c- could you believe it that we'd rather be talking about all of that garbage than the thing that we're about to talk about, which is the show we watched for the purpose of this podcast? <laughs> Well, particularly this one, this weird, very special episode. This episode's crazy. Stuff. This episode's crazy, Kyle. I'm just going to say it, all right? I was going to be like, hey, you know, let's get into it, how you feel about it. You know, no, what What the What the fuck happened today? So, like, so much, such a, like, I want to say an emotional roller coaster, but, like, I didn't really have a lot of emotions about it. Maybe a tonal roller coaster. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, also, like... We, we sometimes goof on these title names, but today's is the most obvi- obvious and on the nose. It's called The Closet Reconfiguration. So, Season 6, Episode 19. We've given up on funny titles. Uh, Kyle, do you have any other feelings uh, before we get into this summary here? Uh, no, just like like you said, what the fuck? Uh, we will... Well, I. I don't. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about the Big Bang Theory suddenly deciding after years of cynicism that they want me to feel something. It, I've it's... I've got problems with it. Okay, so let's let's go in. Um, and you know what? I was loosey goosey on my notes this week, so it's going to be even shorter than usual. But um, basics are that it, God, it's such a weird thing for the way this episode to begin. Um, Wallowitz and Bernadette 
are shoving things in their closet. That's the catalyst for all that is to come. They have too much in their closet. And uh, they're like, hey, we should... Well, Wallowitz is like, we should trick Sheldon um, just into seeing the closet. And his like OCD tendencies will be so overwhelming that he'll just organize the whole thing for us without realizing it. And he'll love it. And they have a dinner party. Everyone comes over. Uh, that is, in fact, what happens. Um, this is like the the tiniest of B plots. Is Leonard's like, oh Penny, why don't we have dinner parties? And you know what? Uh, there's one scene later. Raj, Raj is like, here's how you have a dinner party. Don't be a fucking square. And then at the end, they have a dinner party. All right, there's your B plot. Boom, done. Um, and that can I just say that I'm pretty sure that B plot only existed so that they could have an ex- some kind of explanation for why Raj and. Uh, Leonard would be hanging out when Wallowitz wasn't there. Yeah, it was. It was That's just what I immediately realized. I think so. Like they had to have just this veneer of a reason for for the characters to interact just enough for yeah Sheldon to go between closets and other interactions. But anyway, so yeah, he's cleaning out this whole closet. Does a great job, and um, at the end of it, he hands a letter to Wallowitz, and he's like, oh, hey, by the way, here's this letter that you got from your dad. It looks like he delivered it to you, or it arrived on your 18th birthday. Um, I read the whole thing because I had to, fi- you know, like, properly file it away, but I won't tell anyone about it, of course. Wallowitz is upset, but also, um, he trusts in Sheldon's confidence. You're you're never going to believe how that turns out, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and at the same time, it gets so weird because... Um, so, like, the the show has over and over, like, obliquely referenced that Wallowitz's dad ran out on them. But As na- a joke. It's always a joke. The joke is, oh, Wallowitz has daddy issues. Ha, ha, ha. Right. But now, uh, confronted with this evidence that either he forgot or, like, tr- was trying to forget that his father was indeed a person in his life, he has to decide, oh, my God, do I want to do this? Do I want to know what it was that my father said to me? The father that I haven't seen since I was nine? The father who left my mom and I? The father who never said a word? And I have this one letter from my 18th birthday? And he decides no, and he burns it in the sink. All right? That's how our episode starts, is Sheldon is like, I want to clean your closet! And then Wallowitz burns a letter from his absent father because he can't handle the emotional overload. Ugh. And, um... When you put it like that, it sounds like a little weird. Yeah, it is a little weird. And uh, it only gets weirder because... Um, oh, You know what? You're, you might have to help me with this because I can't remember who is the first to bring it up. I think the ladies are just hanging out together and they realize together... Well, yeah, Bernadette is confesses that she would have loved to know what the letter says. And uh, someone points out, well, Sheldon read it and he has a perfect memory, so of course he could tell you what it says. She goes, no, 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 I could never do that. That would be a breach of... You know, that would be a huge ethical lapse on my part to circumvent my husband's wishes in that way. And Penny goes, okay, what if I ask Sheldon and you just happen to be in the room? And she's like, that's perfect. Yes, so that is exactly how it goes. Thank you. And they, the three of them head down to the building laundry room to accost Sheldon. And there is what I think, uh, you know positively can be interpreted as a fun horny scenario joke negatively sheldon might be like oh three ladies 
uh, ganging up on me in the laundry room. My mom warned me the things like this would be happened in the city. Parentheses. I'd get gang raped by a bunch of women at some point. Uh, okay, like Sheldon. You do. Yeah, like you do. So that's just a joke. Also in this episode. Um, yeah. So they go down and confront Sheldon, and Sheldon, you know, initially cites uh, strict confidentiality rules before. You know, it doesn't even seem like he's actually eager to reveal the information as much as he just, like, likes being creative about ways he could reveal it. And so through the le- the most minimal resistance, he coughs up, well, you know, like, under California marital estate property theory, it is actually partially Bernadette's letter, and I could reveal it. And so he blabs. We don't hear what it is, but he blabs. Which, as a as a accountant slash tax professional living in california he's not wrong it is a community property state yeah as, as someone who had to, to study law there for a, a test that i didn't didn't pass but now that now they keep reminding me that if i come back i might actually be able to be a lawyer over there so that's interesting Ugh. but um yeah uh they 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 do this weird property theory thing he blabs to them uh and then later uh wallowitz and no not wallowitz like raj and leonard are hanging out in the apartment Sheldon comes in, and uh, the letter comes up again, and he's like, "Oh man, you're never gonna believe it! Like I have this strict confidentiality, strict confidentiality. I can't tell you, except for this other exception. This one actually, I'm blanking on. What was the the well, friend no, exception just, there? It wasn't an exception. He was just telling them. He was like, he's like, of course, I already told Penny. So, uh, oh, and then Penny I mean, would just tell them. So if I tell you, just we're tell just cutting you, out so the middle. Could, man. I guess we could just yeah, cut out. Exactly. Okay, there we go. And so now everybody except for Wallowitz knows what his absentee father said about him. And guess what? We're about to have a dinner party, everybody. <laughs> and the, the one thing that I did laugh at is so they're, they're having this, you know, it's totally fine, whatever dinner party at, at Penny and Leonard's place. Um, well, I guess they live separately at Penny's place, whatever. And uh, Sheldon dressed up all tidy says, my shirt is itchy and I wish I were dead, which is how I feel at most parties. Um Bernadette and Wallowitz have yet to arrive. When they get to the front door of the apartment, Bernie admits that she got Sheldon to tell her the contents of the letter. Um, He, in a weird out-of-character moment, storms in with a bottle of wine ready to murder Sheldon. (laughs) He storms in, like, I think he says, I'm going to murder you. Um, And then everyone's like, wait, 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 wait. Hey, it's not just Bernadette who knows. It's all of us, wah, bah, 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 prank, prank. Except they don't handle it like that. It's like a remorseful moment, and he's miserable. And then here's here is the the final the the icing on all of this is what they decide to do. And this is fucked up. This is, <laughs> uh, so what the he's got like five or six pals now who all know what this letter is, and they all. Uh, arrive late in the episode, like final scene, of, well, second to final scene of the episode, to be like, hey man, so uh, Sheldon explains what we decided is that, hey, <laughs> you know, you know, a funny little thing about quantum physics, am I right? Is how uh, something can theoretically exist in all of its uh, possible states at once, um, you know, and none of those are necessarily. The, the true state until observed, right? And Wallace is like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, so what we did, get this. In a totally normal way to solve this problem. 
is one of us knows the true contents of the letter that they are willing to share with you. The rest of us will tell a cheeky little lie about what could have been in that letter. We will each reveal the contents, and then you, among all of the equally possible uh, outcomes, can decide, you know, whether any of those are satisfying. <laughs> and it, that's insane! The, what? What? Who would ever... It's not, it's not funny. It's done in, like, this weird, sincere way, except for Sheldon, who, like, totally is like, hey, like, what if we were a treasure map, a la Goonies? Like, that's okay. But, yeah, everyone else is like, oh, yeah, he, he showed up at your high school graduation, and he never told you. And, like, oh, the letter had a photo of you as a newborn baby, and on the back it had written my greatest gift. And most of it is lies. <laughs> it's... And Wally Oates says, like, mm, you know what? I'm just going to choose to believe that they are all equally true. <laughs> and you know, go ahead and do that. Whatever you need, man, because you've had a day. All right? Like, whatever you need to get through to get away from your fucking deceitful, weird beard friends, that's okay. Um, and then to this stinger is Sheldon gets tricked into cleaning out Penny's closet and Bursts into yet another dinner party to be like, well, I found a battery-operated chew toy. Ba-da-bump-ba-dump-bump. Um, yeah. So, like, what? Wh- who wrote this? Who does that? I'm looking it up. <laughs> All right. We can just continue talking about this episode, but, like, it's just so bizarre. Like, that that final interaction. Like I said, it's there's nothing funny about it. They treat it as this, like, you know, genuine, um, heartfelt, helpful idea. Uh, and it's, it's just gross. And I don't remember if any of them, maybe they did, like, actually just apologize and be like, sorry, we did that, man. They all said they were sorry. Yes. Okay, well, they get, you know what? Um, looking, I see here that it has a different director than normal. So Mike Sandrowski apparently directs almost this entire season. But uh, I do remember that. His name shows up a lot. I think he's directed more episodes of the show than anybody. Yeah, Anthony Rich got this one. And he gets another one in a couple episodes. I'm not going to spoil it for myself, but we'll see how that one goes. Um, anyway, he belongs in prison. Uh, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. And I don't like... Not too much goofing in this episode overall. Like, because Wallowitz... Oh, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, again, it feels like one of those weird, uh, very special episodes that used to come... You know, like when uh, Carlton gets shot on... Oh, Family Matters. uh, Family Matters. Wait, no, no. Fresh Prince, sorry. Fresh Prince. I I was thinking the uh, the son gets shot in Family Matters. Yes, yes. I mean, they all... Yeah. Also, all that whole episode devoted to racial profiling, in which the moral of the story was, well, some cops don't racial profile, but some definitely do. I, I remember sorry, I, just, I remember that specific episode and and uh, the dad being like, I remember the first time I got pulled over for driving too slow. And it's like, <laughs> oh, shit. But you know what? Here I am 30 years later and I'm like, hmm, fuck the police. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, except instead of it being about any like important issue like drug use or inner city violence or anything else, it's just like, yeah, yeah, we're just randomly going to explore daddy issues on this episode for no just yeah, for like no tonally consistent reason. 
Yeah, like just just for a lark, you know, like hey, you know what? We haven't had a Wallowitz episode in a while. Like, well, you know, we've we've really toned down the sex pest element. What other aspects of his character they are actually, there? They lampshade that. I mean, there's a there's a it's just like a character beat. But literally, they're walking up the stairs, and Leonard is like, "Isn't mm. it weird how Wallowitz went from being the guy who would just randomly flash his genitals at complete at his testicles at complete strangers and be like, hey, I sat in gum, and now he's throwing dinner parties with his wife?' So, what's up with that? It's, it's been a long time since there's been a Nick Hyde oversharing personal life story. Oh God! Um, but it's time for one now. First of all, the gag Wallowitz would do would he would pull some of his his scrotum skin out of his shorts and say, "I looks like I sat in gum. That's hilarious, first of all. First of all, all right? He's not just flashing people. It's for, for the love of the goof. Um, but also, I think I was in high school when I, when I first saw it, the legend. Um, this friend of a friend had a uh, middle school football injury, wasn't wearing a cup on the field, kicked to the groin. He lived. But he wasn't ever the same. <laughs> Specifically. Laugh, but... Oh, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's funny, I promise. One of his uh testicles just kinda kinda started slowly, slowly filling with some sort of fluid that wasn't draining out. And um he just kinda leaned into it. Um <laughs> it was at least the size of a softball at, at some point. It, and he did eventually, like, I'll get it drained, Ugh. Oh. whatever whatever it was he had to do. But for a long time there, he uh, himself, a, a confident and proud man, would advertise his, his, his own pimp walk because he'd have to walk a little crooked to get around his giant nut. Um, and he would just flash that at people. I've seen it. Everyone else said it was like a rite of passage. Is when <laughs> when are you going to see this freak's massive nut? Um, yeah, and that's you know, there's no con- there's no end point to that story. Just that uh, you know, for, also it was funny. I didn't want to see that either, but when I did, I was like, ah, oh, you got me. That's a weird nut. So, all right, but yeah, they do they do reference exactly like you said that Wallowitz is just um, surprised. Well, actually, that's part of what makes. Um, Leonard jealous too is he's like this fucking pervert is having dinner parties why don't we have dinner parties like the sex criminal is having dinner parties Penny <laughs> and that's why that's how we get our very minimal B plot so Ugh. yes I, uh, the only other beat that you didn't mention that I thought is when Wallowitz is lunging at Sheldon Sheldon throws Amy in front of him as a human shield yes as a goof well, and part of that that I did think was kind of funny um, is, you know, Amy's mad at him, obviously, but before uh, he lets go of her, uh, he says, like, oh, something like, oh, he's surrounded six to one, like, please let us go, or something like that. Um, his his obvious cowardice gave me a little tickle. But yeah, I don't know, there's... <sighs> is this with that, that fucking... That quantum physics... Th- uh, I... <laughs> And who, Sheldon of all people? All right, now, now I'm getting fanboy complainy. Would, would never sign on to this. I don't think because he, I believe, having a very literal physical uh, understanding 
of quantum physics would be like, well, it's not a metaphor. Like, one of us is obviously lying. Most of us are lying. Like, it's not the same as an like semi-observable phenomenon. But yeah, I think he's a little too human, maybe. I don't know. I'm just trying to think more things to talk about now. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have. I mean, uh, Penny's looking cute. What do you What do you do about that? You know, I don't, I guess I did think it. I'll I'll admit I didn't think through. If I think about how horrifying it would be in real life, then it's immediately obvious. But I just I I didn't think through like that when I was watching it in the moment. I was like, oh yeah, this is this is sweet, uh, weird but sweet. I was mostly. Like, I guess I was too fixated on which one of these things do I think is the real thing, which is absolutely not the point. But, uh, um, well, right, I mean, it it's... could be any of them. <laughs> well, but again, it's Except not. It's not. It, it could be any of them, but this is not like a... <laughs> one of them knows the truth and will all. Like, well, they what... all know the truth. They well, All of them know. Well, yeah, they all know is. the truth. You're right. It's but... just which one of them was, like, given the responsibility for saying that? And did they, like, come up with the rest? Like, did they sit around and workshop the rest of them? Like, what if we say he was, you know, he's in the witness protection program? Ah, eh, that's a little too specific. But well, did they each, were they each responsible for coming up with their own? And it's kind of like the opposite of a firing squad, where they all have live ammo, but only one of them agrees to shoot. I don't know. It's... Ah. But it'll be fine. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you know, oh, I guarantee you this will never get referenced again. I, well, I, well, I could be wrong, but... No, I think, I think you're correct, and I was also about to naively hope that we have more like this. Because here's the thing... I, this wasn't good TV. It was just, I mean, it was interesting in a, like, a, like I said, what kind of maniac dreamt this up kind of way. But, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it is at least interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, five out of five. Great, great episode. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. Uh, the only, what was I... Oh, the only other so oh, this isn't even worth bringing up. It should, but I'm going to do it anyway, just to kill time. The weirdest thing about all of that to me was after they tell them all their stories, there's a random beat where Wallowitz gets up, walks to the fridge, pulls out a bottle of water, and starts drinking it. And I don't know what the point of that was. And I know it's a stupid. Th- I'm sure there's well, no, all sorts I, of random blocking and all of, but it's like I thought he was. I guess I thought he was going to do something. I thought he was like it seemed so purposeful. At the very least, I thought he was like going to pull out. You know, if he had pulled out like a bottle of whiskey and been like, "Well, it's been a long day. I think I deserve. I think old uh, old Wally deserves a drink at the end of this one." Even that would have been. But he just pulls out like a Fiji water bottle and just randomly takes a sip and it's like, "Okay, now I'm ready to tell you how I feel about this." Well, Kyle, you ask this as a person who understands how to read scenes. Like, that's not... Because I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, like, it does look like this is going to build towards something. This whole info dump is there. He, It's all out in the open. And yeah, he goes to that fridge, he opens up, and I'm like, is this his... His resignation. Did is he this... actually save the letter? Was it a fake out this whole time? It's a, it's a, I mean, this was my brain working overtime, but I was like, he is a magician. Maybe he didn't really burn the letter. And now he's just going to open it up and be like, psych, I'm going to read which one it really is and make the rest of you feel real stupid. Well, I was wondering if he was going to like grab a snack and just walk out of the room. <laughs> like, be that like, that was too great. much, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> 
But no, you're right. He gets that bottle of water, comes back, and he's like, hey, guess what, friends? I've made a decision. <laughs> it it took as long as going to the fridge and back to make it, I guess. <laughs> well, another great episode in the can. We did it. It's wonderful. Do you want to talk about good things? Things things that are fun? Yes. Let's do it. All right. Um, I admit it to Kyle. I don't think it's going to make it into the beginning of the episode, but... That I uh Which but the if if you wondered why we started talking by me going on a ramble about Final Fantasy Nine, it it was preceded by Oh, it is my fault because I was talking about how since the last time we, we checked in for this little little thing we do, I've really just been playing Fire Emblem. You know, I've I've it's not all of my life. I've gone to work, I've I've gone out and met friends and socialized. But as far as media goes, it's been 100% Fire Emblem. and Specifically Fire Emblem Three Houses. Three Houses, yes. Which, um, I can't speak to the previous games and how you raise levels and stats in those. But what I can say, and I think I glossed over when I last talked about it, is um, part of the whole school-monastery background is that you are a professor and that you get to both take classes and teach lessons. And so you can individually hone uh all every single character skills and they're i don't know there's like a base like 12 different skills like weapons defense mobility all those things and then there are budding talents which are things that someone sucks at at first but if you teach them enough about it all of a sudden they they excel in it uh and then there's trying to uh, get your best build so you can fit into any of the master classes at the end of the game, which is where I am now. And that's frustrating because they're all mounted, and it's like, why would I be teaching a wizard to ride my horse this whole time? If I hadn't planned that from the beginning, there's no reason to put a wizard on a horse, and now you're telling me he's got to know how to ride a horse to be this badass horse wizard? This blows, but that's what I'm doing, and I say it blows, but on the other hand, I fucking love it. I love fucking just taking these random little guys. And, you know, actually, that's something um, I will say is a, a mild criticism. Mild, because uh, I think I complained last time uh, about the game where every time the bonds between any two characters at all um, go up a level, there is a cutscene about their friendship. And it's too much, and it should all just go. And I was listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I just? I don't have a. I just want to. So your problem with the game is is the thing that everyone else loves about it. That's the only reason I'm laughing. There's too much anime characterization. <laughs> uh, do you know what? The, the the one thing that I do like about it is one of the activities you can do to raise your bonds and this other stat. You know, whatever. You can have a tea party with somebody, and. Um, my favorite thing about that is that if you choose all the correct conversation topics, a pop-up comes up that says perfect tea time. And I love that I play a game where I get rewarded for having a perfect tea time. And yes, then and then the reward on top of that is you just get to like uh, scan God, the other person's face it's lovingly. So weird. <laughs> this anime like I like, you know, it's anime's cool and whatever, but like this fan service bullshit, fuck it, it's gotta go. And what I was going to say is, um, I was watching this, uh, 
uh, zero punctuation Yahtzee video. And this is a few months ago, or maybe even an older video, but he was talking about some other game having mostly auto-generated characters and having these XCOM little... XCOM 2. He loves XCOM. I mean, I don't well, he was... know which video it is. But well, he was comparing it to XCOM 2, whatever oh. it was, because he was saying in the other game, it kind of gave the, it kind of gave the characters a bit too much background where in XCOM part of the fun is kind of just imagining where your characters had to have come from to end up the weird builds that they are like why is it that this you know asian woman with a green mohawk that excels in knife and grenade skills what's her background that led her to this point in her life and the fun kind of comes from Having people who are initially faceless, but the more time you spend with them, you just kind of by default bond with them. Well, yes, and, and you know, you have them, you lead them through missions, so you just sort of imagine them being in their downtime. Being exactly. Like, Remember that time I threw that grenade under that door and blew you partially up, but killed the bad guy that was about to blow your face off? So I took like half your, you know, I, you probably like lost an arm or something, but I definitely yeah. saved your life. That was wild, huh? Yeah, I love that shit. And that's, um, like a, a pro and a con, I guess. I see it more of as a con where others are pro in, in the three houses. Is all of these characters do have specific, well-defined backgrounds that color all of their interactions. And I think it'd be fun to have uh, just that that slight bit more uh, of freedom to not be bound to any particular like character background. And to, you know, like, oh, well, here's my big tough guy. I made him to be big and tough, but what is he really like? I will have to wonder. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm still playing Fire Emblem. I'll try to have more of a life by next time, but that's still what I'm on about. What's I mean, What I, What are you I, into? <laughs> and they are making a new Fire Emblem that drops really soon, so it will probably be more of the same anime, anime goodness. But you never know. The old ones weren't quite as bad about stuff like that. Well, and um, I, I don't hate it. It's just the amount. Like yeah, it's, It is ugh. particularly weird after a long battle when you have to watch, if you want, you have to watch like eight conversations. Yeah. You, 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 you guys bonded so much murdering townsfolk that you go back home and everyone has to have a little chat about it. It's, it's particularly weird. I don't want to spoil anything about the game, but there's a time skip in it, which yes. is important. And there are certain... There are certain relationships that can't resolve until after the time skip, but if you've been playing the game a lot at that point, then you've maxed out all the experience. So you come back to that time skip, and it's like, great, you've come back from the time skip. Uh, things have changed quite a bit. It is now time for, like, 15 really deep conversations summarizing the friendships and the love and the loss we've had yeah. along the way back to back. Remember that thing I really wanted to talk with you about five years ago, but wasn't really ready to discuss? Well, boy, have I had a lot of time to think about what I wanted to say. Um, which might just be me playing the game wrong, because my workaround to Nick's thing is I just uh, I just played like 50 to 60 side missions in between every maiden mission in Fire Emblem. So my characters were so overleveled halfway through the game, they were basically gods. Well, mine, I think mine are like, I'm, I'm still playing on hard, and I think they are appropriately leveled where, um, you know, they are about whatever the recommendation is for the level. And for instance, the, the last fight I was in, there's a recurring super badass enemy called the Death Knight, and uh, it was a, a, a near end of game Death Knight appearance on a giant map with a bajillion guys. 
and it took me two tries. And I don't mean like two time skip do-overs. Like I tried to go through it once and I couldn't get the outcome I wanted without everybody, you know, getting nuked. And so I had to start over again. But so I was strong enough to do it. But, you know, it took some patience and thought. And that's where I think the sweet spot is for me. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> and also, I fucked the death night up real good. Thank goodness. Oh, yeah. It's my turn. I've yeah. Got, unless we I just want to keep talking about Fire Emblem and other, like, grindy RPG stuff that we're both obviously super into. <laughs> you know, the main, I will, I will, I've. So the main reason I was doing a deep dive recently into the under the table Final Fantasy IX is I have this fantasy to write a tabletop role playing game that plays like Final Fantasy, and by that I'm which is not that hard, except by that I specifically mean I want your characters to be able to go from level one to level one hundred, and who boy is that a ridiculous arbitrary constraint to put on how to make a role playing game. Because if you want to know why there are only 20 levels, even in, like, the most uh, crazy, like, complicated RPGs, tabletop RPGs, it's because the doing the stat calculations, you know, with dice and pen and paper gets really crazy, uh, you know, if you, if, you get, uh, if you get too high. It's already bad enough having to figure out, like... Oh, well, does a 32 hit? Okay, well, that that does. Let me check my 15 stat modifiers here. (laughs) Uh, I think that does, like, 87 points of damage. So trying trying to do a version of that that would allow you to go to 100 is insane. But it is also something I work on in my spare time to figure out how that would how that would work anyway that's not what i'm going to talk about today i'm going to talk about a show that i think is pretty it's weird because it's simultaneously every review of it is like oh yeah this is the best one of these in a long time this is critically acclaimed everybody should be watching this and yet it didn't have the immediate like when i go on facebook and twitter and whatever there aren't like a thousand people being like every why everybody should be watching this it's not become a meme so i just have no frame of reference for how popular the show is right now or how like out of the box this recommendation is but andor uh. on disney plus is easily the best star wars show so i it's not a hard not a hard uh i mean i don't have a not to shit on i like the mandalorian and baby yoda as much as the next guy i thought it was cute i don't hate that show by any means but easily easily the best star wars show you were saying all i was gonna say is uh yeah i have not seen it you know really advertised much maybe a little clip every now and then youtube but even the most cynical star wars haters i know on twitter have really uh sung this show's praises so that's all i was gonna say yeah you should watch i mean so here's the uh and again i i mean here's how i'll put this as you get older you stop this is part of the fundamental problem of fandom i think is as you get older you sort of have to make a choice about what you want from a franchise because you can either because like part of you will always want like something that looks and feels exactly the way star wars looking looked and felt well whatever property you want something that looks and feels exactly like the thing that you loved when you fell in love with it however many years ago it was and then you get things that try to do that and you're either like "Mm, yes this is going to be my whole personality forever or you're like um oh this is 
with now that I'm not 12, even though this is pretty good, it's just never going to feel the same, is it? And so then you, if you can make it past that point in your emotional, psychological development, then you have to ask yourself hard questions about, well, wait, what, what do I want? What do I expect this thing that was created for like young adults and children to offer me? It's like, what could it possibly be? How, like, am I, am I demanding too much? Am I expecting too much? And then every now and then a show comes along that's like, no, no, no. The thing we, I mean, actually, usually what they do, the best shows sort of like split it down the middle. So Star Trek has gotten very good at this over the years where it's like, we will give you two shows, one of which will be nostalgia baby and, you know, everything you remember just the 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 remix greatest hits show and then one show will be like the slightly darker deconstructionist show that sort of like peers under the hood and questions the fundamental premises of the series and i think that's a good compromise um but i was always hoping i was kind of hoping that star wars would do that but i'd given up on i basically after rise of skywalker had decided no no one running this franchise has the capacity for introspection and the willingness to stand up to the fans that they could give us this because what i would and then i because what i would want from a star wars show is something that really you know gets dives down deep into the experience of living in this universe and makes it feel like a lived in world you know without all of the you know you know, 500 foot up space magic stuff. I just want to know, I just want Star Wars to feel like a place that I could live, a place where normal people like live and work. And yet there's still this cosmic battle for good and evil that's affecting everyone's lives. And they have to figure out where they stand and how that shape turns out. That's Andor somebody else. Tony Gilroy, the guy who created, uh, I don't know. He's a famous screenwriting guy. What did Tony Gilroy? I think he did. There's Tony Gilroy and there's Dan Gilroy, which is what makes it hard to remember who's who. It's a gaggle of Gilroys. Yes. Oh, yeah. So Tony Gilroy, who did all of the Bourne movies and also Michael Clayton, which, if you've never seen it, is a fantastic fucking movie. Um, And then also uh, he did Rogue One, which was many people agreed the most... uh, like divergent of the star Wars spinoff films in a lot of ways still had its problems, but pretty good. Uh, so I was expecting something that would feel like rogue one, which is sort of satisfying, but not cheap. But what I got instead was Andor is the story of one of the characters from rogue one before that movie, because spoiler alert, he dies in rogue one. Um, and it's the story of how he got to that point where he was basically like, this rebel secret agent saboteur spy guy. And so it picks up at the beginning of his, where he's just kind of like a nobody living on a planet, like on the outer rim, you know, that is, uh, that is controlled by the empire, but it's so insignificant that the empire doesn't even station troops directly. Instead, they basically have outsourced all of the control and security to a big, you know, private corporation that runs, a totalitarian agenda and he's just working as a minor while trying to unravel the secrets of his past, which are not really that complicated. They mostly come down to the fact that he, you know, he survived an incident of colonialist exploitation that separated him from his family from whom he longs for whom he longs to be reunited. But, uh, yeah, so it's not like a mysterious backstory. It's just like, uh, I don't know what happened to everyone else I ever loved. I'm trying to figure it out. But while trying to get to the bottom of that, he does some bad stuff that sets off a chain of events that ends with him, you know, having a 
you know, maybe having to rely on channels uh, outside of uh, imperial and corporate control. And guess who lives in those shadows? It's the nascent rebellion, baby. Only this is not the this is not Princess Leia and, you know, the X-Wings. This is this is the time before that. This is all like the these are all like freedom fighters and spies and fucking gorillas and Let's call it what it is. Probably some of this, these people we would consider terrorists, even within the context of Star Wars. Like, some of these people have definitely blown up civilian buildings. Um, but you know what? It's, it's just the world, baby. It's the world. It's about... It's like every moment of... I haven't, I'm on the last episode because I'm saving it for, you know, because I just don't want this season to end yet. But every episode is just like... Do you want to know what it feels like to live in a world where you where like, you know, you get up and you go down into the droid mines and you have your special gloves? Do you want to know what it's like to be, you know, really what it's like to be in an imperial detention center? And it's just like there are just 10,000 little tangible details that make it incredibly incredibly well thought out and lovely and it's combined with this great acting from all of the cast who just two or one delivers these stellar dark performances and just its whole conception of star wars is fantastic so like one of my favorite things uh so my favorite thing about how it portrays the good guys as i've already said is it's like these are they're not morally ambiguous people they're morally righteous people but they're like look we're fighting like a uh an evil organization with, you know, literal, literal space, uh, you know, aircraft carriers ruled by a cosmic warlock. So yeah, we're gonna have to get it. You know, we have to, we get our hands dirty. If it's like, if, if they find out any of us have even considered rebellion, then they'll execute us and our whole family. So guess what? We're a little paranoid. We're a little edgy. We, you know, we make, sacrifices so like the one of the best characters in the show is like basically the spy master for the rebellion and you know he gives this great speech about what it's like to have to use to have to get up in the morning and do his job and you're like oh this is the shit and then um and then my favorite thing about the bad guys is that it is frankly the most uh updated and believable vision of totalitarianism that I think we've gotten from a sci-fi franchise in a long, long time because, uh, because in the original star Wars, it was basically the empire was based off the Nazis, obviously, but it was based off of like a 1950s understanding of the Nazis where it's like, yeah, they just, they wear a lot of black, you know, and they, uh, they follow orders mindlessly and they don't mind, you know, murdering civilians and they have stormtroopers they send everywhere. That was like our 1970s conception of like what an evil empire would look like. And that's all still there, but we've come so much further since then. So the 2020 version of the empire still has all those components, but it's like, but in addition to that, it's like they mandate what parts you're allowed to use in all of your like aircrafts and things um because they don't want you having access to uh equipment that you can repair yourself they want you so dependent on imperial supply chains that you can't up you can't you know you would never rebel because if you rebelled you would never ever be able to get a toaster that works again that's kind of sounds like what happens when the libs come for all our guns am i right am i right everybody huh yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking. Oh, it's Apple. It's like this is obviously, <laughs> yeah, this is like or or it's like that. Yeah, 
it's also it's also Amazon because not, I mean not to, but I don't want to spoil how it happens but you get a peek inside an imperial prison and it's not like you know people you know in the dirt in I think we've seen it's not like people like in the dirt in chains with some guy with like a shock baton like jabbing you every five minutes no it's literally like it's a nice clean room where everybody is playing a game where it's like literally just who can who can put together like the most tie fighter parts in you know like an eight hour shift and the loser just gets shocked so badly they want to throw up at the end of eight hours and that's fine that's that's the only consequence otherwise you're fed you're healthy you're happy you just have to work every day like you know you don't want to get shocked until you vomit at the end of it otherwise everything's cool that sounds genuinely motivating. I right. I have so many days where I go into work and I'm like, I don't know if today's the one. You know, like I just got a feeling I'm not going to get a lot done. But I mean, if, you would, yeah, imagine if there was a leaderboard. Oh yeah, I mean a leaderboard, like maybe, maybe, but a loser board. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that would I would notice. <laughs> yeah, so it's basically it's like it's like the imagining like the two like the the tracking and surveillance and you know logistical supply chains of am and surveillance capacity of like uh amazon and apple just being used by darth vader and that's sort of you get a much more like physical sense of what everybody's up against and also why they're so mad at it and that's that's actually the final i don't i mean I think we all, uh, well, obviously not all of us, you stormfront bastards, but <laughs> most of us, uh, I think, have this fantasy of of how satisfying it would be uh, not to live under a totalitarian regime, but just to like know that you were like in an all or nothing struggle against the forces of evil, and therefore, and like you know, being able to say "fuck you guys" and stick it in their eye, and not really have to feel bad about you know anything that you did because the the forces that were arrayed against you were so obviously in the moral wrong um and this show just really like cap like basically every time every time there's like a, a a heist or a bank robbery or you know a riot or someone throws a pipe bomb you're like boy in any normal circumstances uh you know, I would be like, think of the two sides here and the complicated nuance of this thing. But because it's fucking Star Wars, you're like, yeah, toss that t- pipe bomb, more pipe bombs, please. <laughs> Fuck those corpo Nazis. Get them. Get them. It's just like, oh, it is so I am just like I watch the episodes and they a lot of it's the quality of the writing. They really build to this, uh, you know, every every arc of the show starts out as kind of a slow burn and then they inevitably just build this moment where it's like it's go time it's now it's like we either act now or everything dies and everything you you know sacrifice to this point is meaningless and when those moments kick off you're just like yes you're just on your feet like the whole time being like this is awesome this (laughs) is awesome i want more of this please well i guess uh what we're saying is you're pro terror which i'm not gonna I'm not going to take a stance against you on that. It sounds like a lot of fun. I'm into it. <sighs> I've been thinking uh, now. I want to put this in a very specific context, which uh, you <laughs> please don't edit out of the episode. Uh, it does make me think a lot. Like uh, if I had to go to war with the FBI, how would I go about that? Yeah, 
That's like, uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying I have anything against the federal. Bureau oh no 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 no! Perfectly valid federal <laughs> organization. They do a lot of important work. You know, they fight a lot of terror. Of uh, you know, in their history, they fought a lot of white supremacist organizations. They also tried to get Martin Luther King to kill himself. But setting that aside, uh, you know, they at least nowadays I like to think they're mostly a force for good in the United States. Although you're who knows, but uh, you know, if they were co- basically if they were co-opted and suddenly like, you know, the FBI was the secret police or whatever. How would I, you know, what networks? I mean, basically I came to the conclusion. I do not, I would not be able to do it. I do not like the expertise that you need to lead like a, you know, to build like a spy, a criminal spy network that can fight the government is so far outside my wheelhouse that I would just get, you know, caught instant, which is what happens to most people in real life, by the way, as we are <laughs> seeing now, it's, you know, unless it's part of a big riot where you just assemble so many people that it doesn't matter in the short term what happens. Like if you are plotting against the government in like a chat room or with a bunch of your friends, chances are at least one of the people in that meeting with you, possibly the person who's encouraging you. Yes, I agree. We should go buy some uh, fertilizer, and I know exactly the guy who will sell it to us. That guy is usually an FBI plant because they are very good at their jobs. I uh, I can't say that I am privy to any big recent cool FBI terror crackdowns in the area, but I know that uh, in the last couple of years, some guy got convicted for uh, illegally selling rare exotic animal parts, uh, and the FBI tagged him for that. So um, I guess also. Beware of that if you're ever, like, hang out with somebody and they're like, hey, man, you want some bear liver? It's probably a trap. <laughs> so, <sighs> Well, we're pro-terror. We're pro-stat sheets. Um, anything else that we want to open up and, and get off of our chests before we, we give it up for this week? Uh, no, I'm pretty good. What about you? No. I, I mean... I'm, I'm looking forward to finishing my current playthrough of Fire Emblem so I can prepare my spreadsheet for the next playthrough. <laughs>